Welcome to the show where we uncover the blueprint of success and the business tools you need to achieve the American dream. Helping people turn passion and dreams into money-making machines. This is Strictly Business with Chase Channel. Now, here's Chase. What's going on, Jackson? Glad to have you along on a Friday afternoon. You heard the man. This is Strictly Business, and my name's Chase Channel. I have a really special show lined up today because not only do we have Uncle Sid, but we have a, a visitor that traveled all the way from the mountain state of West Virginia. One of my good friends, um, foremost, but a uh, an attorney, Mr. Ty Nestor. Hey, Chase. Thanks. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thank you. I can tell you guys we're lucky to have Ty because he's tough to he's tough to nail down, and I'm sure he's going to send me a bill for this after. So we're going to take advantage of him while he's in here with us. But uh, Ty and I go way way back, and uh, his story is unique. And there's some things about it that I think will be great for all entrepreneurs. We're going to talk a lot about marketing today with Sid, and uh, later in this hour, and then part of the second hour. But while we have Ty for a few minutes, we're going to hear from him on uh, on some of his background and past and some advice that he can give us. If this is your first time listening to the show, we appreciate you tuning in. As always, you can head on over to facebook.com forward slash the Chase Channel Show, and you can post up comments throughout the week or if you have questions or anything going on. And then also, if you want to text, you can text into the Victory Honda text line at 731-215-0158. And uh, other than that, if you miss the show ever, you can always catch us tomorrow morning from 9 to 11 right here on 93.1, or you can download iHeartRadio app on your phone, and you can check us out at iHeartRadio.com. Now, Ty, so, I mean, I know your story, but I think that there's so many things in there that are valuable, and, you know, this show's for business people, entrepreneurs, dreamers, people who, I mean, you know, we talk with everyone from the factory worker to you know to a state senator or whatever so tell us a little bit about um you know i know when you when you went through law school you got out and let's kind of start there well um i was an eight uh, i was 18 year old kid um, i went to western university and uh, i went in i told everybody when i was 17 graduating from high school that i was going to be an attorney it's certainly what your parents are pleased to hear they're coming from a baby boomer, boomer generation wherein they're imagining that if their son or daughter becomes an attorney, that's a good thing. So I was winning uh, style points, brownie points, um, uh, trust points with the parents, which is an important thing when you're a young man, uh, young woman. And uh, went to West Virginia University, which was my father's alma mater. Uh, a lot of my p family went there, went there, um, did well in school, had a political science degree. and was an undergraduate degree and uh, certainly didn't have anything really to do with that. I was a pretty lazy kid in the sense of, although I worked hard in school, I, I hand wrote my application to go to law school and walked it up there before 4.30 on the last day of the national um, deadline date. Uh, was accepted, I think, uh, a couple months later. Um, went there for three years and graduated. And uh, after graduation, had a hard time. I think this is where we're getting at. Had a hard time finding a job. Well, before we get there, when you hand wrote that application, you turned it in, what did you think the outcome was going to be? Well, I was pretty secure. I mean, I was pretty confident uh, that I was going to be uh, accepted to law school at West Virginia University, given that I'd gone there undergraduate. I was an in-state resident. My test score is a standardized test score. I don't know if, it, if it's even used today. It's called the LSAT, the Law School Admissions Test. My my score was um, was satisfactory, uh, and my grade point average was, was satisfactory. So I, I thought that, 
I was very confident that they were definitely going to accept me. So you get accepted, you make it through school, and mm-hmm. then you found it tough to find a job, which I think a lot of attorneys in the world realize that coming out of school now. Oh, it's it's extreme, I think. Um, and again, you know, I, I don't want to talk out of turn or, or sound like I know more than I really do, but my impression uh, that I have day in and day out and when I have time to think about it is if you go back to 1970s and 60s or the 80s, and even if you want to call it in the mid-90s, I mean... Uh, there were a lot of people with jobs. There were a lot less. There were a lot fewer attorneys, so the market wasn't saturated. And now you have a lot of people entering into the workforce. I think the national, the statistic nationally is that there's more attorneys than there are, uh, you know, people with law degrees than there are practicing attorneys in this country. And I think people might find that interesting. If that's very revealing in of itself, I believe. Yeah, that that is interesting. I didn't realize that. So uh, got out, tried to find a job, couldn't find a job, went around and was willing to work for free uh, in Elkins, Randolph County, West Virginia. Didn't have the financial resources to really go out anywhere else. Uh, had some you know, bad breaks, everybody does. Didn't, didn't have really any, any ability, to, any mobility to, to go anywhere else and made a few uh, <clears throat> you know, resumes and sent them out around the country and things and didn't get any response uh, and ended up going to Charlotte, North Carolina and thinking I'd have some better luck there, and um, ended up selling commercial real estate for about nine months. Did horribly with that, by the way. Uh, don't know if I gave it a long enough shot. My boss has got along really well with him. It was Southeast Commercial Real Estate Company. My boss's name was David Fuller. He was a really good man, um, and uh, he, he I learned a lot from that. I learned a lot about how to deal with people on the telephone. You wouldn't think that's a skill. You'd think that would come naturally to a lot of people. I don't believe it does. Uh, so I learned a lot from that, and that helps me in my practice of law today as a solo. Well, I'm not a solo, but a very small uh, practice in Elkins, West Virginia. And then, because when you when you applied and you went around, because you came back from North Carolina to Elkins, right? Yes, sir. And at that time, you you were trying to still find work in the in the law field. Is that? Yeah, that that's that's correct. I I um I just went around and told people that I was interested in learning the business. I was interested in getting my feet wet and learning about what people do day in and day out. I went to every law office that was there. And I'm going to use just a guesstimation that there were maybe seven or eight law practices that uh, I solicited and uh, handed a resume to. Of course, no calls. And, and they were very kind. They, you know, good group of people, uh, kind. I think they genuinely, genuinely want you to see you succeed, even, to today, even today, And uh, but they just didn't have anything for me. And that may or may not have been true because later on down the road, you know, people be getting out two and three years later and they'd eventually find jobs. Maybe something changed between when I was looking and those three, those three years later, but um, just nothing there, bottom line. So where did, where did you go from there? Everyone's saying, you know, no, or, you know, nothing's coming available. How, I mean, how did you take the next step and what did you do? Well, <laughs> I got to tell you, uh, I was living in the basement of my, of my dad's house and it was just he and I. And, um, you know, he was, he had multiple sclerosis and there was no other, uh, kids around. My sister wasn't around. She, she lived in her own place. She's two years younger than me. She lived in Elkins. She was running his business, which is a beer wholesalership. And, um, my brother had passed away, unfortunately, prematurely, uh, about a week before his 24th birthday, all, um, before this, of course. And so I just felt like, uh, you know, I could kill a lot of birds with a stone. I could be with my dad. I needed his companionship. Uh, I think he needed mine, and um, uh, you know, source it was no no money to live there, and uh, I was in that basement just drinking beer, doing what most people age twenty six do. And uh, day came, 
and that I just couldn't stand it anymore. I felt like um, things weren't weren't doing. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. I was withering away, and I wasn't real content with who I was and what I was doing, and I needed to make a move. And then tell us about the move. Well, it wasn't anything great, I'll tell you. I mean, as far as it wasn't like, uh, <laughs> you know, walking down to the Dairy Mart, uh, hitting the lottery, or you know what I mean, having right. some kind of divine intervention. I uh, I went down to the beer warehouse and went upstairs. And just to give you an idea, I mean, for the sake of uh, vibrancy for the show, I mean, we're talking about, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, Maybe maybe forty thousand square feet or so, um, and then there's a small and this is all industrial. And then there's a small office complex in the front that's that's integrated. And there was an upstairs and it, and it didn't have any insulation, didn't have any air conditioning or whatever. And I went up there and I actually went to Citizens Bank of West Virginia, and I went in. <laughs> this is funny. And I sat down and I, I asked this this banker. His name was Frank Heinzman. I was like, I need. this is is funny and uh he's like well what for and i'm like well i'm going to start a law practice and of course he didn't know i was a lawyer you know he 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 had no idea about any of that and yeah i I don't know whether i he should have or not you know in my pea brain and you know being you know just basically stuck in a building learning the books for my whole life you know I, i didn't know how the real world was working right and uh, kind of looks at me like I'm crazy. Like, what do you got? What do you got to put up for it? Now, I didn't come out like that. It was much more professional. It was, sure. You know, we need collateral. You know, we can't just give you fifty thousand. It's polite. You know, we just can't give you fifty thousand without something to ensure we're going to get it back. So, of course, then so I go and I I get my mom and I'm like, Mom, I I need fifty thousand, and. <laughs> I needed to go down to the bank and co-sign. That was a suggestion that uh, Frank at the bank had, and uh, they're not going to give me any money any other way. So unless you have it and, you know, you actually want to see me be a lawyer, somebody's going to have to come down there and put their, their signature on the dotted line. Right. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, lovely mother goes down with me, signs up uh, there, and I take the 50K, and and I do a number of things with it. I, uh, I, you know, I needed carpet out of the upstairs. I mean, it was, it was a wooden floor. Nobody habitated it as far as any use was concerned i mean it had metal walls on the left brick walls on the right wasn't painted wood uh didn't have a desk didn't have a computer didn't have any law books or i mean you can't practice law without you know westlaw or lexus nexus something where you can do the research and and certainly not the books you need the west virginia code didn't (laughs) didn't have any of it right didn't have carpet (laughs) didn't have a place didn't have a phone didn't have a computer didn't have any chairs. I mean, I didn't have anything. So most of that $50,000 was used, and you'd be surprised how quick it gets used up. I think a lot of pro- people out there don't realize, and I think that's why we see a lot of people working for jobs that may want to work for somebody else, but there really is. There really is a lot of uh, startup costs. There's a lot of capital that needs to be infused to do something right. And I mean, I'm going to tell you, I'm going I'm to guesstimate that thirty-five to 40000 of those dollars went to just curtains to keep the sunlight out you know to keep me from baking up there yeah. uh yeah and uh carpet and a desk and some chairs and some phones and a, a copy machine now, let's not forget that gotta have that they're not cheap right and so by the time that was done that that, that money had been um, exhausted i had you know maybe eight thousand left and well no nobody's gonna call you if they don't know your lawyer so it went to advertising yeah that's cool and that's what happened now the now here's a, an interesting uh turn in the story is I met you up there. Like I came in as a client. 
I don't remember that. From the paint store. You helped me draft up. Uh, I needed like a credit application for accounts. And um, I came over. I don't even remember. I can't remember. We had a mutual friend or somebody referred me or whatever. But uh, I went over and um, you helped me draft up the the credit application for accounts that we would sign up, you know, new prospective clients on or whatever. You know, now that you mention it, it jogs my memory. I think that's the second time we met. Is that right? Yeah. 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 We, I, we met before and then, uh, yeah. And then that's, uh, but I remember going up there and, uh, you know, it was cool. Yeah. I was impressed uh, by something because at the time I didn't realize how young you were and, uh, you'd come in there and just to see me in that warehouse and it, and it meant a lot. It had an effect on me. And I'll tell you why, because you were probably one of the first people to, uh, come in and need something from me. So I was more than willing to do it. Right. Because it, you know, at that age and at that point in your career, you just want to feel like you offer something to the world. And, uh, I certainly wanted to help you, but I remember the, what stood out to me was, is that you came in very professionally dressed to see me and it meant a lot. It was very respectful. You'd come in with, khakis and a nice uh i want to say flannel shirt on with a belt on tucked in and i was like this is something about this guy and i remember that yeah and then i you know it's funny because um you know over the years i was lucky to you know we became closer friends and uh you know ty bought paint for me over, over time when i was through that juncture and, and and luckily uh you know through friendship you served a lot of uh, good good uh counsel for me uh just personally and and uh, life coaching, I remember times where things weren't going as good and I would be hanging out with Todd brainstorming and he'd always push me to do more to make changes in my life. And, you know, one of the, um, I saw a friend of mine posted today, this book called, um, the rule of five. And it talked about how everyone should have five like mentors, mentor for this, for that, for different areas of your life. And, you know, you were always a great mentor to me in, in a time that I wasn't, you know, very successful uh, especially monetarily, but uh, had some of the skill sets. It was just a matter of molding it. And one of my favorite memories was um, Ty appreciates this uh, as much as I was. We both kind of like acting. So, uh, and Ty would say, you know, you're a great actor. He says, you ought to go to Hollywood. And uh, so, and I mean, he had me believing it. I thought I was so good. I could go out there and I was like, I'm going to be in Hollywood. I'm going to be famous. I remember I'd go home after we hang out and I think, man, Hollywood. And, uh, it's funny, but when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more with Ty. We're going to take a short break. And if you're just now catching up on the action, we're here with Ty Nestor, uh, attorney at law. And he's just talking about uh, his startup and business and a very tough time uh, to break into the market. when it, And during those years, the, the market was tough and it was tough for everybody. But uh, if you want to get in on the action, you can head on over to facebook.com forward slash the Chase Channel Show. You can post up comments, questions, or concerns. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Strictly Business with Chase Channel. Thanks for listening to 93.1 WTJS, the talk of Jackson. Don't go anywhere. Chase will be back right after this. So you're starting to go places and need a reliable pre-owned vehicle to help prepare you for the journey. Get a preview of the road ahead with a Honda-certified pre-owned vehicle. Each one is thoroughly inspected to meet Honda-certified standards and includes a limited powertrain warranty for seven years or 100,000 miles from the original in-service date. They're even KBB.com's 2017 Best Value brand. You could say we pre-screen each one. You know, as a precaution. It's a 
precise way of pre-treating our vehicles so we can present you with a car you'd prefer to spend thousands of miles driving. We think you'll like it, but we don't want to be presumptuous. Visit hondacertified.com and search for local inventory. Based on 2017 Brand Image Awards from Kelly Blue Book, visit kbb.com for more information. See your Honda dealer for limited warranty details. You're listening to the Talk of Jackson. For the hottest shows in the Hub City, keep it locked right here on 93.1 WTJS.
Money Talks, ACDC. What do you think, Ty? Are you an ACDC fan? What kind of music you like? Well, I like all music, but I think, you know, I'd be lying if I told you that the ACDC doesn't hit home occasionally. <laughs> Ty Nestor's in studio with us, uh, practicing attorney in West Virginia, not here locally, but he's a good friend of mine. We go way back talking about a very unique start in the uh, the law business uh, for Ty. What year did you, did you start in business? Because it was around the recession probably, wasn't it? It was a little bit before that. It was July 1, 2005, and thankfully so, or I wouldn't have gotten that $50,000 loan uh, that I needed beforehand, which I needed to start up in basically a rent-free property. Yeah, that makes more sense because I started the paint store in late 2005. So, yeah, it was – that was it. Uh, man, time flies. Sure does. It's incredible. And so uh, we were talking about um, one of the funny memories I had, which was uh, we used, Ty and I used to hang out and – when we when we would hang out, we, we were kind of uh, close knit. We, we we didn't really go anywhere. We would just keep each other company and stay out of trouble. But during that time, Ty would always boost me up to believe, and I I could have been a Hollywood actor. He's like, you got to get out of here and go to Hollywood. We would always put on little skits for each other and, and hang <laughs> hang out and have a good time. But uh, you know, I never tried that out. Maybe I should have should have given it a go. I think yeah, I think you had a great shot at it. I mean, uh, I don't know. I think comedy would have been where you would have landed. Um, but for those that don't know, I mean, I'm, I mean, I don't want to sound awkward here, but you really had it going on back then. I mean, you're, you were six, six, 220 pounds, perfect head of hair. Um, not that, not, not that you're still not great looking today, but I mean, the roles, I think, uh, you would have had a, a shot, a lot of different, different roles back then for sure. Still got good hair. Just, oh man. Yeah. Just, just a little heavier now. <laughs> yeah. Right. The hair is great though. It'll carry you a long way. Believe me. So we were talking uh, with Ty about his startup when he got a loan to start his uh, his law practice. And, um, you know, there's a lot of there's so many. And it, it's funny because even in, in my industry, I'll see people that, you know, we sell cars to everybody. But over time, I've sold cars to uh, to different att- different attorneys and people. And, uh, you know, they'll tell you how how tough it is. And a lot of times you hear about the stress, stresses of school, stresses of uh, things that go on. What do you what do you find about the stress in the visit? Is it as stressful as everyone says? Absolutely. It's very stressful, especially if you care. Um, there are a lot of people that in our in my occupation profession call throwing in the towel. Um, you see a lot of people that don't really care about their client. They're just getting by day by day. And to be frank, it, it's, it is, a, sadly enough, an occupation where you can be pretty lazy and still make the mortgage payment, still put food on the table. And some people uh, take advantage of that. Um, some people are forced into it. Uh, it's it's a real shame, but the the pressure's really there. I mean, we're talking about people's lives. You have to take it very, very, very seriously, and uh, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I mean, we're dealing with people that just the person, like in a criminal in the context of a criminal allegation, uh, that person may end up losing their liberty, everything that they have and own. Their kids are going to be detrimentally impacted, as well as the rest of their family, both immediate and extended. So there's huge, huge ramifications on the line. And if you're doing the job right, you go to bed with your problems and you go to bed with everybody in your office's problems too. So that is very stressful. What What was the dream for you early on? You're, you're a kid in law school. And what was the, I mean, because in our heads, we think of this, it never plays out how we think. We got a better better sounding scenario, which is what drives us to do things. And like the stress that comes along with it. But what was what was the dream for you at that time? I mean, you thought you were going to be in New York City in some office or what was the like what was the dream for you that drove you through school through perseverance into, into where you were today well to be to be very very 
straightforward with you. I never wanted to be an attorney. I didn't really want to be one when I was 17. I didn't want to be one when I was 21 or 22 and I set foot in that building, which was the College of Law, and I didn't want to be one when I got out and didn't, didn't, didn't want to be an attorney at all. made every effort I could to avoid having to step into court as a licensed attorney and make my living that way. So I didn't have any uh, dreams of grandeur as a lawyer. I didn't read any law books or Grisham novels or watch TV and say, hey, that's what I want to be at any point in my life. I got, uh, I became an attorney out of necessity uh, for the sake of basically survival. What drove me through it was I did not want to, to fail. I think that a lot of, I think that everyone that's successful um, in life, it doesn't matter what they do, uh, they realize that being a quitter is, is not the right thing to do. You have to, you have to want to win. You have to want to gut it out and you want to get and accomplish your goals, regardless of whether you want them for yourself or not. Not accomplishing a goal is, is a bad thing. And we're, we're taught that. I mean, I think successful parents instill that in their children. They, they make sure our, their kids know that, that quitting's not an option. Um, winners never quit, right? And quitters never lose. Or excuse me, winners <laughs> never quit. How does it go, Chase? <laughs> and uh, quitters never win. That's right. Something like that. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because you're exactly right. And I used to always say, if you want to find a great car salesperson, I said, just hire a former athlete. Because they have that competitive drive that it takes to, for the resilience, for the perseverance. And a lot of times they find success despite they're just being successful because in the eyes of others, they don't want to be seen as, as, as the loser of the game. They want to be able to be seen as winners the same way they were in that competitive drive. And I've always been competitive in sports and in everything else. I find it. And, you know, it, it comes out of me. I can't control it. Like if I'm on the basketball court, you know, or, or whatever, you know, playing golf, we, we played golf the other day and, uh, I hate losing. I, it, it drives me crazy. And, uh, you know, but th- I think that that's a great point when it comes down to uh, perseverance and, and parents setting that bar because it happens early on. Well, let's give a shout out to the guys that whipped our butts in uh, in golf. Uh, they were significantly older. <laughs> Lawrence Taylor, yeah, James Parker. Out, we got taken out by the senior crew. <laughs> we sure did. They were playing from the white tees and out driving us basically uh, out of seven of nine holes. Uh, Lawrence Taylor, James Parker, and Bill. what's Bill's last name? McDaniel. Just smoked us, smoked us like Memphis barbecue. <laughs> yeah, we, we, but we had a good time. Speaking of shout outs, you know, my niece has been giving me a hard time. She said, you know, you don't ever talk about me on the radio. So I make sure uh, Daisy knows that I'm always thinking about her and uh, we know she's always out there listening. But uh, so Daisy, you better uh, be doing good in your softball games. But uh, yeah, Bill, uh, Bill's a great guy. He's, uh, I met him through uh, locally here and, um, a lot of people don't know this, but Bill McDaniel is a—he's a, a world-famous pool cue builder, and um, you know I was a cue collector before moving to to Jackson. And I always—the thing about cues that makes them interesting is—is is their collectability, you know, which comes from the builder. I mean, if if you if it's a production line, then there's no collectability to it. So builders of cues are like artists. Bills were some of the most sought after out there. One of the reasons was because of the time and tenure he built them. Two was is how great they played. But three is is that Bill's kind of a perfectionist. Uh, you know, so, and, you know, uh, Bill and I are good enough friends. I can also say he's a little different when it comes to some of those things. But when you meet Bill, cue or no cue, you know right away that if this guy built you a pool cue, it would be perfect. And so uh, that reputation in the world, and at one point in time, he had uh, 
um, Nick Varner, who was like a five-time world champion, uh, went to won the ni- world nine-ball title in, in uh, over in Spain with his Bill McDaniel Q. Karen Core, you know, uh, five-time plus, maybe even more than that now, eight-time world champion, was playing with a Bill McDaniel Q. So you had like of the top 100 players on the pro tour. I mean, literally half of them were were shooting with his cues, and he wasn't the type of builder who gave sponsorships. They were playing with him because they wanted him, and he charged them for him. And uh, Nick was the only person I ever know of that he sponsored, and he didn't sponsor him. All he said was, "You can use the cue, and when when you feel like you're not playing good with it, you got to give it back to me." And so um, I just think that said a lot about his business integrity. He didn't care if you're world champion or not; you're going to pay for the cue. And that's how good he felt the product was. But, you know, in the law business, it's the same thing. The product's what matters. I mean, you're the product. If, if they feel like, like you mentioned, that you have their best interest at heart, you're going to take it serious and uh, do a great job representing them. Then, you know, they're going to feel more confident about the dollars they spend. I guess the only difference would be sometimes people get forced into representation and don't have the financial means. So maybe that's when they kind of have to take what they get. Yeah, and a lot of people get forced into being attorneys and and out of necessity, too. Um, I shouldn't say that. I mean, you make conscious decisions to go to school and you make conscious decisions to take those tests. But like I was trying, well, like I told you, I I ended up where I was out of, um, because I had to to survive. It wasn't that, um, you know, I wasn't thinking, I wasn't thinking into the future like uh, most people really should. And that's a very important concept to take from that. Well, and not to mention, you didn't want, and I know you good enough to know that it wasn't like you were going to let everyone say, hey, I heard Ty didn't get through law school. That's right. I mean, that's a sign, you know, it's a sign of weakness on you. And then that's the competitive side that, that takes over. But when, uh, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but one of the things, you know, that I wanted to, that wanted to talk about is, and I want to thank you for the opportunity this week to come down to Victory Honda and be on the lot and feel what it's like to be a car salesman for a few days. And uh, the reason I did that was, you know, I'll tell you, I, I thought a lot about because the, the name of the show is right. Um, w- what is the name of the show? Strictly Business, the Chase Channel Show. Okay, but it's about making money. It's about it's yeah. about just the business climate of America and so forth. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, well, uh, the one thing that came out of my mouth today in the, in the throes of, uh, of a prospective um, sale of a Honda was, I, I was looking at this lady, she's a very nice lady, and I said, you know, and I told her, I was very transparent, I told her what I did, what I was there, that I wasn't a permanent employee, uh, that I'd only been there for a couple of days, I didn't know a ton about the product, and that I, uh, that, that you know, that I was actually a practicing attorney, and um, where I was from and everything. I mean, it was very transparent, I wanted to do a soft, honest sale, because quite frankly, I didn't want that to come back on you, and, and affect uh, the, the quality of the brand that you've built over there, and, and come back on me too. Sure. So in the midst of all this, I said something that in really we, we learned. You know, I'm 42 years old as of June 5th, uh, just a couple of days ago. And uh, I was really impressed with what came out of my mouth. It was very clear. It was, it was like a moment of clarity. And I told the lady, people don't budget. Not everybody needs an attorney. And people that do never budget for one. Everybody needs a car and everybody budgets for it. So if you go to work to sell cars, something everybody needs and wants and knows that they're going to have to, to work for and set aside money for, well, and your idea of success is selling one to, say, five cars a day, I think you're going to find a lot more success and fulfillment on a car lot than you are in a courtroom. Well, I think part of the courtroom deal, too, is it's almost a thankless job because 
I mean, half the time, if you do a great job, you got somebody who allegedly may have been, you know, charged with something off, which there's going to be parties that aren't always happy. I mean, it's just one of those things where it's not like you go out and celebrate publicly that, you know what I'm saying? There's no, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you, when you win, you win. I mean, if it, if, if it's a popularity contest, I can tell you firsthand being an attorney is the last thing you want to do, especially in rural West Virginia, where we have 1.7 million people and, um, you know, if your goal is to make money, there's a lot of, and my advice to you is there's a lot of better ways to do that. Now, I'm not saying that that's my objective, and I'm not saying I don't get total fulfillment. I enjoy being an attorney, and I enjoy being an attorney where I am, but don't get me wrong. But yeah, popularity contests, winning the hearts of people, there are going to be people that hate you for good reason, bad reason, no reason all. And, and in order to make money, especially if you're an introverted type of person that wants to, you know, kind of keep to himself, do his own thing, and Maybe maybe family's important to you. Maybe uh, privacy's important to you. Well, you can't be in a position like that in small town America and not hold yourself out there. If you're not extroverted, you're not going to see a dollar. So if you're not comfortable with telling people who you are and putting your face out there in the back of a phone book or being on a radio and telling people who you are and being somebody that has to march to the tune of other people's drums, so to speak, uh, that's not going to, you're not going to make any money. You're going to be out of the business anyway, because you're not going to be able to afford to pay your bills. Ty Nestor's with us. We're talking about uh, all things business as always, and his uh, his time and starting and some of the things that, that uh, you know, attorneys face. But the great thing about the show, and every time we talk to somebody is, is it shows how many parallels there are through all industries. And, you know, the struggles and the things that are dealt with and the stresses and all that, they're all out there and they're all the same, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, Ty's story and how he got out of the beer plant and onto where he's at today, and uh, and then we also are going to have uh, Sid on in a little bit to talk about uh, some marketing strategy because we really want to get into the nuts and bolts of some marketing for small businesses and big businesses and some of the new products out there today. If you're just now joining us, uh, you can uh, always catch up on the show. Download iHeartRadio app on your phone. Type in the Chase Channel Show. And it'll even send you an email each week when the new show's up so that you can catch up on it. Or you can always catch the replay tomorrow morning from 9 to 11 right here on 93.1. And uh, if you want to have a question or comment or concern for Ty or myself, you can always head on over to facebook.com forward slash The Chase Channel Show. We'll be back. You're listening to Strictly Business with Chase Channel. Thanks for listening to 93.1 WTJS, the talk of Jackson. Don't go anywhere. Chase will be back right after this. So you're starting to go places and need a reliable pre-owned vehicle to help prepare you for the journey. Get a preview of the road ahead with a Honda-certified pre-owned vehicle. Each one is thoroughly inspected to meet Honda-certified standards and includes a limited powertrain warranty for seven years or 100,000 miles from the original in-service date. They're even KBB.com's 2017 Best Value brand. You could say we pre-screen each one, you know, as a precaution. It's a precise way of pre-treating our vehicles so we can present you with a car you'd prefer to spend thousands of miles driving. We think you'll like it, but we don't want to be presumptuous. Visit hondacertified.com and search for local inventory. Based on 2017 Brand Image Awards from Kelly Blue Book, visit kbb.com for more information. See your Honda dealer for limited warranty details. 
make me You're listening to the Talk of Jackson. For the hottest shows in the Hub City, keep it locked right here on 93.1 WTJS. Take the money and run, Steve Miller Band. That's what we're talking about how to do. Take the money and run in all things business. Uh, Ty Nestor's in studio with us, practicing attorney in West Virginia, good friend of mine. And we're talking about how he got into business and uh, the law practice and uh, just some life, uh, old life stories and uh, things and catching up, which is great. And Ty is, um, I'm just going to put this out there because I think it's important. One of the smartest people I know. Well, that's being very gracious, Chase. Thank you. And he's he's very humble, as you can tell. So, uh, you know, sometimes he is, especially publicly. But uh, <laughs> but he's very smart, always giving me some great advice over the years. And uh, that's what the show is all about, bringing, uh, bringing the minds and, and knowledge of successful business people to help everyone who listens uh, gain a little traction in their lives. And uh, if you got questions or comments or you want something answered, you can always head on over to facebook.com forward slash the Chase Channel Show. You can drop a comment, question throughout the week. We'll be sure to answer it on the air. And uh, also, if you want, you can always shoot us a text over to the Victory Honda text line, which is 731-215-0158. 
If you're just now getting in on the show and you missed the first half, you're going to want to make sure you don't uh, you don't miss it. So tomorrow morning from 9 to 11 right here on 93.1, you can listen to it. Or you can go over to iHeartRadio.com. You can listen to the show there. You can also check us out on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Spreaker, Libsyn. And I got a brand new announcement this week. You can also listen to us on Amazon Alexa. Wow. <laughs> you know, Chase just got done telling me, I, I asked him a question. I go, Chase, how many people are listening? About 700, 800 on the podcast. No, he's like, uh, yeah, more like 700,000. I'm like, oh, geez. You know, I didn't I didn't recognize that the, this was going to be uh, spread wide and far. Yeah, we got a big, a big uh, footprint and signal right here in West Tennessee. And uh, luckily... See, in West Virginia, we wouldn't be heard for as, as, as that big a distance. But here it's flat, so the signal really carries. Heck, in West Virginia, we'd be, we'd be better off than go up the top of Spruce Knob. It's the tallest mountain, and use a bullhorn, we might get people to listen to us. <laughs> One of the challenges uh, growing up in West Virginia, and I always said it was great because West Virginia is about 10 to 15 years behind everywhere else, especially with technology. And part of the reason is the mountains make it tough. I mean, cell phones still don't work great in places. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you go to, uh, we went to my cabin last time I was there. There's no no cell phone, remember? Yeah, I do remember that, but there's also a really peaceful quality about that that I appreciate. Yeah, we hung out on the on the river up there and had a great time, but uh we've been talking about Ty went to uh, hand hand wrote his uh his application to law school, got in, got out. Uh had a, his uh, his mother helped him with a family uh, a loan to co-sign to get a loan to start a um what I would call a uh, nice startup office in the beer warehouse. And, uh, you know, from there you've grown. Um, you have a nice uh, law office you've had for, for quite a few years now. You have another attorney that works for you, paralegals. And uh, so tell us how you went from, you know, what was some of the, some advice that you would give us and how you got from the top of the beer warehouse over to your office and, and some things that you learned through that time that have helped you become successful because you built a great practice I bet the guys that told you that, uh, hey, we don't have a spot for you right now, kind of wish they'd have hired you. I don't know about that. But what I will say is the stars were in perfect alignment, and, and they weren't necessarily a great uh, string of stars. They didn't get there from, from good things happening. I think the, the way I got into the, in, out of, that, uh, out of that, uh, that room at the top of the warehouse was is my brother passed away. Uh, he was a victim of the opioid epidemic that we're experiencing nationwide. And it was about six months before I opened the – opened up that office upstairs at the warehouse it was uh, July 1, 2005 and he died about about 6 months before that. It was in November or October of uh of 04. So maybe a little bit more than that. But really there was just so much pain in my life that all I could really concentrate on and escape it with and just sort of immerse myself in those law books and that telephone and and talking to people uh as a practicing attorney it it, it just quelled that pain. And had that not been the case, had I not wanted to put in those 12 and 16 hours, I probably would have never made it out of that top of that building. But in all actuality, I had a lot of help from the community. I can't take that away from them. They might not want to give me a job, but they did um, from time to well, – not just from time to time. They were supportive. I think they understood uh, my predicament in a lot of ways, and a lot of other practicing attorneys were, were very helpful. Uh, it was a good community in Randolph County, Elkins, West Virginia, where I was practicing, and, and they – you know, I got, I got to, I got to be honest. They were, they were good to me, and I think that played a lot to do with it. Plus, I got lucky early on. I, I took a case to trial 
um, that I did it out of moral. I didn't. The, I, I don't want to get into the specs of it, but I just did it because I wasn't getting a deal. Um, the guy was likely guilty of a crime that most of us all would commit have committed. It was it was technical, but had a good had a good jury, um, and very thankful. So. Had a, had a trial early on, I want to say, not even a year, year and a half after becoming an attorney, and it went well. And um, then back to the bank, Chase. Uh, uh, I got to the point, the reason why I had to get out of there is I was, there you got forklifts running, you know, 20 feet next to me to the left. Right. And, you know, I've got bills to pay, and I'm looking over at a guy off this little desk, and this isn't even any kind of respectable desk. I mean, it was a nice desk, but it's probably 48-incher, you know. Right. It wasn't any kind of you know, five footer or six footer, wasn't any kind of, you know, burled walnut or anything. (laughs) And I'm looking across from these guys and I'm asking them for thousands of dollars that I need, you know, to put, to attribute the time, uh, and uh, pay for my advertising budget and my copy machine repairs and the phone bill and the whole nine yards. And, um, it was getting to be difficult because I'm smelling, I don't know, I don't know what that, those forklifts run off of, but they run off of some kind of weird gas. It stinks. Propane or something. Ah, God. Yeah. Giving me a headache every single day. So, uh, I finally said, you know, back to the bank, you know, I'd saved some money, got that 50000 paid almost off or down real low. It may have been paid off. And I was like, well, you know, we'll just go talk to the bankers again. Now, I if you want me to, to, to get into that, boy, that was that was uh, that was something else because I still had no money, uh, you know, and I yeah, had let's hear about it. Well, at the time I was getting paid on the court assigned. Uh, well, most of my clients obviously were court assigned indigent criminal defense uh type clients. You know, they were accused of crimes and pursuant to Gideon versus Wainwright with the Supreme Court case. That was 1971. Our highest Supreme Court in the land, the United States Supreme Court, said that, you know, indigent people get a get an attorney that's going to be paid for by the state accusing them of the crimes. And that it hasn't changed. I think the rate's been stagnant, I want to say, since the early 90s or late 80s at $45 an hour for out-of-court time and $65 an hour for in-court time. And uh, they never paid. So here I was working for a year. I think at this point, it's been about three years I've been working. And for only a year and a half of those, um, even though I'm going to work every day, 16 hours a day, sometimes, you know, 12, 16 hours, literally. Uh, and I'm doing that. I wasn't getting paid for any of my work. So I had to take these these vouchers and over to the banker and say, hey, uh, these things here are owed to me. I've sent them down. Of course, they don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> Excuse the Susan language, and I sent them, you know, and then I'm, I've got like just a stack of these things. I'm like I submitted these back, you know, two years ago, and of course it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the game of twenty questions, you know. Well, why haven't you been paid? When you tell them, and they can't believe it, they're like, "Are you serious?" And I'm like, "Yeah, unfortunately, I'm very serious." And you're going to be paid on these, but you know, I'd had a good payment record with them, so they were going to give me another. They're going to give me some money, and at this time, they they gave me money for, a, you know, a. A house that I was going to convert to an office, which I did, and uh, it was on a main drag, Harrison Avenue, there in Elkins, and so I wanted uh, I wanted some bigger money, and they gave it to me. So once you got over there, how much did that do for your business? Well, it, it didn't do a whole lot. It was kind of running there, but what it did for me was give me a sense of the warm and fuzzies that hey, I'm up and going now. Um, you know, I'm actually have a decent office. I he's got- even got a boardroom in there. Right. I had to, I had to, oh man. Yeah. Like in, in personal injury litigation, I remember I had some, some case against the bank one time for some snowplow issue or something really kind of a kind of thing. Only a new attorney would take on. And, uh, I didn't have that office yet. And I had a, a mediation. Uh, I had to rent out the days in, uh, uh, <laughs> the, the bottom of a, a thing at the days in, and I didn't know any better. I got all these subs from, uh, from the T-Mart and all this stuff, and they thought I was nuts. 
I made a grand total, I think, in that mediation, that snow pile clays. I think my take on it was was a cool 6,000, and uh, no kidding. And uh, uh, yeah, I probably shouldn't get in any more of it, but – but it, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. I don't know if that was really that was true or not. But it wasn't any kind of homer. But you know, back then, you know, that yeah, was that, big money. Yeah, that would have seemed like like a big case. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you, you know, one of the things that that I always found interesting was is that, uh, and if you're ever in Elkins and, and you're you're riding around on Harrison Avenue, I can also tell you that you can usually find a Diet Dr Pepper in the fridge over there at the at the new law office, so you can drop by and snag one of those. I always do when I'm in town. But uh, you know, Ty's a great guy. And, uh, you know, he, he, he's helped a lot of people there and been in the community for a long time, uh, just like a, but I think it's great to hear, um, you know, I lived in Elkins, lived in Atlanta, now I'm here, and I always say that Jackson's, uh, it's, it's big enough that it's, it's, you know, you're a lot bigger than Elkins where, you know, you don't feel like you're trapped and you, you actually have some stuff you can do, but it's also a lot smaller than Atlanta where you don't have the traffic and, you know, 5 million people and the things that go along with that, but uh, it's always nice to hear, you know, a different perspective uh, from from someone who, who who they don't know, and so they can get a little insight on what it's like uh, in the mountain state. Uh, we're talking with Ty Nestor, practicing attorney in uh, Elkins, West Virginia. If you're just now joining us, don't worry. You can catch uh, what you missed tomorrow morning from 9 to 11 right here on 93.1, or you can head on over to uh, Facebook.com forward slash the Chase Channel Show. We always post up a link there. And we're uh, the show's online anywhere that you want to listen to it. If it's not, you post it up. We'll make sure it's there. It's on Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and many, many more places. We're going to take a short break. When we get back, we're going to visit with Ty a little bit more. And uh, might get him to tell us a few just funny stories off the uh, – because he's a great storyteller, <laughs> off topic of business. And then we're going to chat with uh, Sid for a little bit. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Strictly Business with Chase Channel. Thanks for listening to 93.1 WTJS, the talk of Jackson. Don't go anywhere. Chase will be back right after this. So you're starting to go places and need a reliable pre-owned vehicle to help prepare you for the journey. Get a preview of the road ahead with a Honda-certified pre-owned vehicle. Each one is thoroughly inspected to meet Honda-certified standards and includes a limited powertrain warranty for seven years or 100,000 miles from the original in-service date. They're even KBB.com's 2017 Best Value brand. You could say we pre-screen each one, you know, as a precaution. It's a precise way of pre-treating our vehicles so we can present you with a car you'd prefer to spend thousands of miles driving. We think you'll like it, but we don't want to be presumptuous. Visit hondacertified.com and search for local inventory. Based on 2017 Brand Image Awards from Kelly Blue Book, visit kbb.com for more information. See your Honda dealer for limited warranty details. I like me better when I'm with you. You're listening to The Talk of Jackson. For the hottest shows in the Hub City, keep it locked right here on 93.1 WTJS.
Money by Pink Floyd. I always liked Pink Floyd. They were one of my, uh, always enjoyed the kind of smooth listening, you know? Some different stuff, yeah. <laughs> Ty's not much of a music guy. You never have been. We're hanging out with Ty Nestor in studio and a uh, practicing attorney in West Virginia, my home state, and a personal friend of mine. We've been chatting about uh, his start in uh, the law business and 
from handwriting his application to get into law school and all the way through the different things that he's dealt with. And I think that's important because so many people see success in life and they say, that's what I want. They don't realize the time that it takes to get there, the journey that it takes, the sacrifices it takes, the time that it takes, and and, and more than just the time, the timing of things to happen to fall in line for it to come to fruition. So it's always great to hear uh, how people get to where they, they, they are because I always feel like um, that that can provide inspiration for everybody. And uh, it, it really allows us to see that it, it's not always just, well, that guy got lucky and he's where he's at because he's lucky. It's a lot more to that. So I appreciate you sharing uh, that with us and uh, for being so gracious to spend so much time with us. And um, one of the things I want to talk with, uh, with Ty about before I let him get out of here is uh, you not only have your story as an entrepreneur, but also uh, your father was a very successful entrepreneur. And uh, I was fortunate enough to spend some time with him over the years, and uh, he would share some of those stories with me. But uh, if you don't mind, will you share some of that with, with our listeners? Well, my dad was my hero, and I think in most households, as it should be here in America, it's a good thing when your sons look to your fathers as, as their hero. And uh, no question, he was my hero. He was a he was a guy with a plan, and uh, he was a quiet type. Um, and um, he suffered from multiple sclerosis from 1985 till when he passed away, just this uh, day after Christmas last year. So December 26 to 17, he's not even gone from our uh, world for about uh, not even six months. But but yeah, uh, he 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 didn't really share a lot about um, that with me. What he did tell me was is that he had always wanted to be in the beer business as a beer wholesaler. You know, he owned the trucks that go to get the beer from the breweries, and they bring it back, and his trucks deliver it to the bars and the restaurants and uh, gas stations and so forth. And he, he explained to me at one point in time, I think he had 12 counties, uh, contiguous counties. Um, then, unfortunately, he, he suffered a divorce, and, and then he only had five. But but how he got there, I thought, was the most intriguing part, Chase. Uh, do you feel the same way? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, he... He went to West Virginia University, uh, like I did, and he explained to me that when he was in college, he worked for a, a keg store. And he told different stories about that, but that's when he realized that that's what he wanted to do. He was in a fraternity, and he would take these kegs to the other fraternities, and he made them believe, and this is the intriguing part, he made them believe, and I don't know if this is you know, true or not, but this is how it was, was stated to me. He made them believe that that's the only uh, he was the only person they could buy him from. Right. <laughs> you know, so he, I don't know whether he duped him or what, but he he convinced him that, you know, you can't get him from anywhere else. You can't have your party. You got to buy it from me. So he was kind of running a, a an operation. So everybody bought into it, whether they liked him or not, or they just didn't care. He was convenient for him. Didn't matter. That's the the impression he was casting out there. And so all these fraternities were buying the kegs off of him. So he had a little niche going. And then uh, he, he was going to save some money. He got into the real estate business in Parkersburg, West Virginia, and he, he did well with that. And he was, you know, very – he saved all his money. He was never a big spender. You know, we didn't have any lavish things or anything. And uh, uh, the whole time he was he was plotting to get his hands on one of these beer distributorships. And uh, I remember him asking me as a young kid, and I mean young, six, six years old, uh, there was a Budweiser distributorship that was available in uh, New England, and he didn't—I can't remember the town or even the state. And then there was a Miller distributorship that was available in Elkins, and um, you know he kind of sold me. And this is before he got sick about how you know you're going to love it up there, and you know I wanted to be like him, you know, and I wanted to 
I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to have guns and I wanted to fish and I wanted to hunt and I wanted to do all those West Virginia country things. And he sold a, sold it to me like that. So I was super excited uh, for his uh, dream to kind of come true. I didn't know it was his dream at the time because, of course, I was too young to understand that. So he was, certainly wasn't sharing with me. But but uh, do you remember the same uh, build up to this? That he Would he tell you the same thing, Chase? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah, so uh, he saved his money. He was very disciplined, and he never talked about it. Now, that's the one thing that I want to share with with you and, and 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 the audience is that that's the thing I can never I could never master. He was he was a far better um, he was far better at not needing to you know bounce his ideas off of other people. Um, he, he if he had a good idea, and he used to tell me this. He said, "Keep it to yourself," because if you tell somebody, somebody else can be in a better position to capitalize on it. They're going to get to it first. And um, so that's that's a lesson I took from him. So sometimes when I get a good idea, I don't really share it with a whole lot of people. I might not even share it with anyone. So he had a calculated uh, plan in place. He got a job with a now defunct brewery, which called Christian Schmidt's Brewery in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And he worked, and it was a great job. He they would fly him out of the Parkersburg Municipal Airport, which is a very small airport in Wood County. They'd fly him, meaning the brewery would, to uh, to Philadelphia. And he would go and he would sell two different brands of beer. One was called Schmitz and the other was called Classic. It was another beer that this brewery uh, produced. And he would sell those beers to um, places in like Harlem, New York, that would be beer distributorships like what he he used to be. And I guess I now am because I'm a half owner with my sister in, uh, in, in Elkins. And he would sell that beer. He would go to them and say, you know, in Baltimore and in Philadelphia. So in all these metro areas. So growing up in West Virginia, it was very intriguing to me that somebody could come out of West Virginia University, basically live in West Virginia, which was always at best suburban, and then go and be somebody. And it always impressed me about my dad that he some some city slicker in Philadelphia would choose him over everybody else who would want that job with a big um, expense account, you know, stay in these motels. He stayed, this is interesting too, he stayed in so many motels and all these places, he would hop around all the Holiday Inns, right? And he won a contest where Holiday Inn, um, we all know that brand, it's a great brand, he won the competition, he stayed in more Holiday Inn um, rooms in a year, and he won the competition, I think it was a year, and they sent him anywhere in the world he wanted to go, and he went to Germany with my mom, and all expenses paid, first class flights, Holiday Inn, Whole thing went to Germany, went to Luxembourg. It, it was great. I just wanted to throw that in there. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I just, I just wanted to. I just, that's, it's a great thing. It's good to talk about them. Um, makes me feel good. I appreciate you bringing up the topic and inviting me to get into it. But yeah, I thought that was wonderful. That that at a, it was. It, that's something I always have in my heart and in my mind. Um, that my dad was a person that got one of those jobs that probably a lot of people want. It was very competitive, and just because he was from West Virginia. These city slickers thought he had a little something extra um, that a lot of people didn't have, some kind of intangible, because he was good at his job. You know, he's going in as a guy that came from West Virginia. He's going into, you know, places where his accent's completely different. He's hanging out in Harlem. He's hanging out in Baltimore, and he's convincing people to buy his product. And I thought he had to be special, and he was. And uh, I'm glad you let me share that with the audience, Chase. Well, you know, it's uh, I always enjoyed it and uh, in, in hearing it, and uh, those are things to me that. Um, it just provides inspiration because it, it's just someone with a vision and a dream that through hard work and perseverance and, and keeping that ideas uh, to himself and then to see the success, it, you know, that it's that it that it came to in the end and, uh, you know, that it still is for you and, and your sister. But uh, it's always great to hear a, a, a true American uh, success story from a, from a great, uh, great American uh, hardworking man. So appreciate you sharing that with us. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's. Um, Business is exciting, and, and it always has been for me. And you know, I've always been a dreamer. And I remember 
you know, this is kind of embarrassing, but I'll share it anyway because I do everything else. So why why hold back now? But I would. Uh, they there was these magazines that you could buy, and you probably still can. And it would be like a business magazine, entrepreneur business magazine. And basically, the whole magazine concept was they were just these hokey ideas. They'd sell it to to. And the pitch on the the magazine was is it would say like you know, thirty businesses you can start for under five hundred bucks because I don't have any money. So I'm like, well. I want to be in business. I got no money, so there's got to be something I can do. So I would read through these things, and every one of them just seemed like, a t- you know, they weren't great ideas. Later on, I kind of realized that the magazine basically just, the magazine wasn't given the information. These people who had these, you know, whatever, franchises or, or, or whatever they wanted you to buy into, they paid for the ads, and the whole magazine was basically an ad. But here I am reading about, you know, how to become a bubblegum vendor and how to be how to do this and how to do that. And, you know, I think that um, scalability and things like that, you know, timing and so many factors play into how to become a business person. And, you know, I always said I became a business owner out of ignorance. I just didn't know any better. I thought that and every time I hit a roadblock, you just keep going because you don't know any different, you know, and you just you just keep pushing through it. Yeah, I remember that, Chase. And, you know, I was really proud of you. Um, I think that the paint idea, the paint concept you have, I mean, you were a business owner at 18. I mean, you had a, uh, I mean, for where we were living and, and where, where I still live, it was a, a perfect spot. I mean, it was the most highly, um, you know, had the most uh, road count of any uh, location you could have had for the paint store. It was in the most um, well-trafficked area. It was a great storefront, um, great product. And, um, you know, it, there were things outside of your control that affected it. I mean, you know, the economy tanked and people owed you money and, you know, they weren't paying it. Yeah, and that was, uh, you know, that was a tough part of business. And, you know, I always said that that's where I gained my education, you know. And at the time, and I, a lot of people don't don't know this. I don't know that I've talked about it much. But Ty knows is my business partner had a sporting goods store that was attached to the paint store. And so, if, you know, in the wintertime, people aren't buying a lot of paint. And that's a busy time for the sporting goods season. And so during that time, and I'd worked for him since I was, you know, 15 years old. And I knew how to, you know, fletch an arrow and, and work on a bow and, and do all those things. So I would help him out. Then if somebody came in the other side, I would go help them out too. But, you know, it was, you know, we, they did pawn there. They did. So you're learning, you know, more skills than just, uh, and I remember people come in to look at bow and arrows and, and, you know, we were a dealership, you know, from, for Matthews bows and these high, I mean, a bow back then even was to set the whole thing up. You were spending over a thousand bucks, which to me may as been a way as may as well have been a million dollars. I mean, I, it, it just seemed like all the money in the world. So when clients would come in, I mean, I remember I'd go over and greet them and what are you looking for? And I knew so much about the bows. They were so easy to sell, you know, cause the, the passion shines through with the knowledge, just like in, in the law world or the car world or whatever. You really know that product inside and out and clients, you know, they realize this guy knows what he's talking about. Of course, I was a good shot with a bow, which helped because I could always, you know, impress with my bow tech and I could, you know, draw back and shoot it. And, uh, but anyway, during that time, it was funny because the personalities that you would meet in, in that world of people wanting to pawn things and people needing, you know, they fell out of their tree stand and shattered their bow limbs and needed fixed. I mean, it was always like, some bizarre, you know, different things that would happen. Yeah, I mean, I remember being in there one day when we were talking, and it was a nice crowd. I mean, it really was. It was an eclectic group, but I remember coming, stopping by to visit with the with the guys over there one day on my way back from work or something. And gentleman comes in, and 
and somebody's fletching his arrows. For you guys out there that don't know what fletching is, it's where they stick the three different um, aerodynamic, I want the polyurethane things, they glue it on there so the arrow flies true. Is that right, Chase? Yep. Yeah, and a guy comes in and he goes, you know, put the put the blue and the white on there. And uh, the guy's like, blue and the white? He's like, yeah, for the Cowboys. And I thought, this guy is uh, accessorizing his bow and arrow, his compound bow and arrow that he's going to go hunt deer with, with the Cowboys colors. And... Um, not that, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, each their own, you know. Maybe he just was saying that, but it just goes to show you that um, sometimes the simple things in life uh, you have to concentrate on. And I do it each and every day, uh, both as an attorney at law in, in, in rural West Virginia and as a West Virginian, and I'm proud to be such. Uh, but I do have to concentrate on the simple things, the simple things that come my way. I know I'm never going to be a billionaire, and pretty much by national standards, I'm never going to be considered rich. But... I think I can be successful enough with my profession, you know, having friends like Chase and and people out there to support and things to be happy and feel feel like I've accomplished something. And I think that's that's the most important concept to keep, at least for me, anyhow. Well, and you know, I think that the the and one of the things that um, and I think Ty, you can speak a lot to this because in life, when you develop, I mean, you think of what you've invested to get where you're at, right? You go to law school, you you. You, you start in the in the in the you know the the beer warehouse upstairs in your office you persevered here so if tomorrow you wake up and decide you want to do something different it's a lot more it's a lot more difficult so I used to always say one of the one of the easiest things and the, and the the biggest benefits that I ever had in business was being broke because when you have no money it, I mean you got nowhere to go but up for one but two you can take risk that you could never take any other time in your life I didn't have family. I depended on me to make a living. You know, so a lot of times, and you know, my dad was an entrepreneur. I felt like had a you know baseball card shop, and he always uh, would. He always found ways, you know, to 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 sell things or create buy something and, and sell it and market it. It was very very sharp at that, and you know, I really believe uh, that you know he's a fantastic business person that put his family first to make sure that we were taken care of because. You know, to walk away from that security and say, how are we going to go branch out and, and do this? It's a tough thing for anyone to do. And, um, you know, I just think that, that there's a lot to be said for that. But sometimes people in a situation where they don't have a lot of money, they feel like it's a disadvantage. And it's not always the case because sometimes the best startups, I saw this cool um, like picture on, on social media the other day and it said, it showed uh, Amazon where it started, the garage, Apple in a garage, Dell computers in a garage and a garage and a garage and all these huge companies that all started in a garage, you know, like some, and it just had the pictures of the houses in the garage said something about, you know, don't let, don't be afraid to dream big or whatever. And cause you know, everyone starts somewhere, but uh, you know, I just think that part of uh, finding that success and finding your stride in life is, is find something that you're passionate about that you love to do. And then you just let that passion shine through it. And when people see that this person really cares and loves. And the great thing about the internet is it's shown that there's there's so many tribes out there of people that it doesn't matter if you like, you know, if you're really into bow and arrows and, and fletch colors, there's some group online of people who, who love it too. And so, you know, we live in a world where, as I feel, the retail climate of these stores fades away, that you'll see a lot more niche. Because like even me, I'll find myself going, I don't want the run of the mill gun holster i want the coolest most unique you know some handmade holster for mine so 
you know, you're looking online and, and, and you go to maybe Instagram or something and you type in, you know, cool holsters or holster. And then you start looking at these pictures and this is all this information that 10 years ago you didn't have access to. You went to the local sporting goods store, you looked at what they had. Maybe you had a catalog, you know, sportsman's guide or something and you made a decision. But now there's so many things that you see that you realize, like, if you want to get into holsters, you can you can spend like, you know, $40,000 on some, you know, gold plated holster. It's like, the, the levels of, of, of the extreme in the retail world today are so much different. And I just feel like it really allows us business people, um, you know, minds, minds to venture and minds to, uh, to explore. So don't always see it as a, as, a, uh, as a setback. Look at it as an opportunity, you know, to grow and to do more. But uh, are you going to hang with us for a few more? You got a little more in your time? That's well, whatever you want, Chase. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm here just to see. I told him I just needed him for 15 minutes. Now I've suckered him in longer, so that, I'm, I'm good at doing that. So <laughs> appreciate appreciate you hanging out. If you're just now joining us, Ty Nestor's with us, practicing attorney uh, from Elkins, West Virginia, a good friend of mine. We're talking about business and life and the things we do each week. If you're just now joining us, you're going to want to make sure you catch the first part of the show, which will be replayed tomorrow morning from nine to eleven right here on 93.1, or as always, you can always head on over to iHeartRadio.com, type in the Chase Channel Show, and you can listen there, or on uh, iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you want to hear it, we're there. So we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Strictly Business with Chase Channel. Thanks for listening to 93.1 WTJS, the talk of Jackson. Don't go anywhere. Chase will be back right after this. So you're starting to go places and need a reliable pre-owned vehicle to help prepare you for the journey. Get a preview of the road ahead with a Honda certified pre-owned vehicle. Each one is thoroughly inspected to meet Honda certified standards and includes a limited powertrain warranty for seven years or 100,000 miles from the original in-service date. They're even KBB.com's 2017 best value brand. You could say we pre-screen each one, you know, as a precaution. It's a precise way of pre-treating our vehicles so we can present you with a car you'd prefer to spend thousands of miles driving. We think you'll like it, but we don't want to be presumptuous. Visit hondacertified.com and search for local inventory. Based on 2017 Brand Image Awards from Kelly Blue Book, visit kbb.com for more information. See your Honda dealer for limited warranty details. You're listening to the Talk of Jackson. For the hottest shows in the Hub City, keep it locked right here on 93.1 WTJS.
We're back. That's the OJs. You like that song for the love of money? Money, 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 money. Just such a great song. There's so many movies that it was in that, you know, I think that a movie can really make a song because it's like I've I've heard songs in movies and I get out the Shazam and I put it on there. And it's funny because later on you listen to it. You're like, that's not so good. But in the movie, when you're like all in the moment, it just really resonates with you, you know? Mm -hmm. Ty Nestor with us in studio, practicing attorney. In West, in West Virginia, and we've been talking about all things business and uh, in his life and, and some of the things he gave us some advice, told us a little bit about his story and his dad's, and uh, we appreciate you doing that, Ty. We've got, uh, you're about to get bumped, though. we got Sid Michael in the wings waiting to, uh, to get on the airwaves with us here. But uh, before I let you go, what advice would you give, uh, you know, we have all sorts of, of, of uh, from all walks of life, you know, listen to the show. What advice would you give just on, on life and uh, in, in closing words for, for our listeners? Well, Chase, uh, part of my law practice is that I do um, debtor's work, meaning bankruptcies. And one of the things I'd give out to, as far as advice goes, to anybody that I've seen, just, to, just vanilla advice, you know, not legal advice, is that from what I've experienced and you know looked at and so forth and so on, I, I think that people that don't stick to what they know get themselves into some trouble business-wise. Uh, you have people going out, maybe it was a great idea, right? But they don't prepare themselves, they don't work in the industry, and they step foot into something that they don't have any business stepping foot into. Uh, and they try to make it work, and they're good people, and, they, and they're and they smart people too. Um, but they just don't have the experience in that industry. So my advice is stick to what you know. And you know it, learn it, know it like the back of your hand, and you're probably going to be safer in your business endeavors. And to piggyback on, you know, off of that, because I think that's fantastic advice. Um, you know, my father always told me that. And one of the things that uh, I think is important is to remember that you can learn new things. So if you, you know, you might know a lot about, you know, one thing, you know, my family was always in the tire business, you know, but I'm not a tire dealer. But, it, you know, it, it helps. We do sell a lot of tires, at, you know, at the dealership. But uh, from the perspective of, you know, I learned about paint because I went to work there. So you can go break into any industry. You know, you stopped by and, and helped out at the at the store for a couple of days because you can go learn. And, and I always say that in business and in life that you learn by immersion. You know, if you just put yourself into it and, and you, you, you think about it when at nighttime, you dream about it, it it's on your mind. You're that passionate about the business. You're going to be successful. If you're not, you're not in the right business because – it takes that passion and resiliency to kind of shine through that. And so I think that that's important to remember to piggyback, you know, off of what you said. Absolutely. Got any closing comments? You want to say hi to Sammy or, or little Jack? Well, sure. I'd like to say hi to my uh, future wife and my little son. And um, his birthday's coming up on June 13th. And I also want to say thanks, Chase, for having me on and having me down here in a wonderful house and put me out on your lot and been a great friend. And I'm really proud of you. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I've never been any more impressed with anyone um, that grabbed the bull by the horns at a low point, left with nothing, didn't need anyone, went out independently, didn't didn't have any fear, went down to Atlanta and made it work. Now you're over here killing it, uh, and I'm really proud of you. I've seen it firsthand now, and I want to just say thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for your friendship. 
Appreciate it, Ty. I thanks, appreciate thanks you. Thanks for coming on. Yes, sir. We're not going to take a full break, but we're going to take a short break. And uh, Sid's over there. He's he's actually preparing his hair. It looks like he's doing some 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 makeup. And weird enough, Sid always does calisthenics before getting on the uh, the air. We're going to talk about that and uh, much more. Talk about some in depth marketing and the in the time remaining. So uh, stick with us. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Strictly Business with Chase Channel. Thanks for listening to 93.1 WTJS, the talk of Jackson. Don't go anywhere. Chase will be back right after this. Money by the Beatles. We're back, and we got Sid Michael in studio. He's been waiting off in the wings. Uh, we just got done talking with uh, Ty Nestor, attorney from West Virginia. Sid was over there doing some calisthenics, getting jacked up for the show. So uh, it's good to have you along, Sid. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sid, always uh, um, it's always fun to have you, and it's been good having you up here. You know, over the last week, we've been hanging out and having a good time. And uh, last week we talked some stories. This yeah. week, I've promised that we'll get in, in depth and talk a little bit about marketing because uh, 
That's what you've done practically your whole professional career. Right. Or a lot of it. Yes. So let's talk about, uh, you know, some different things that go along with marketing. Um, mostly, though, like what are you seeing right now? Because there's a big shift with ad dollars and people, you know, placing spends and buys. And a lot of that's in digital. What, what are you noticing? And, and what's the hottest, the latest, the greatest? Give us the rundown. <laughs> Uh, and marketing, never give up your secrets. That's what you, that's, that's what the rundown is. Well, you know, I mean, you got to give us something. Well, I mean, man, you're putting me on the spot here now. Well, that's what I'm good at. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, mm, let's just think here. Um, I don't know what I'm legally allowed to disclose. <laughs> now, now, you're, now you're starting to sound like Ty. Well, yeah. I could hear in here. So, I well, know. you know, your counsel's over there. I'm sure he'll let you just run free. Can I, can, can I speak with him first on knowing, understanding what I can legally? Uh, no, I mean, he's got me very aware of that this week. <laughs> yeah, you're, you, we're forcing it out of you. Yeah. Um, in the state of Tennessee, let's see what I can say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I, you know, I don't know, man. I can't, you know. Uh, I mean, I can say this: don't ever burn bridges. Well, we don't need like the we don't need the the, the latest and greatest. But tell us, like marketing strategy. If you're a small business owner, you're thinking about doing something or making a move. Like where have you have you heard of re, uh, RVMs? I, I have just. We talked about them once. I think it was maybe in one of the first shows we did. Okay, but maybe I mean, I mean I'm sure a lot of the listeners haven't. Had, Go through it, because I mean, I yeah. I don't even fully understand. Right, well, there's ringless voicemail, like Drops 360. It happens to be my site where I have a platform where I can do ringless voicemail, and you get, you know, I have data. You can go to, you know, you can pick, uh, you know, I've got 260 million consumer records, even though there is 350 million consumers in the country. I've got 260 million of them, and I've got all their, you know, attributes as far as, I mean, everything down to you know, what kind of credit cards they have, what kind of credit score they have, how much their net, uh, net worth is, what their income is, what their house worth. You know, you can really drop, dial into the to the exact customer that you're looking for. And then <clears throat> I have a system that allows us to actually put a, a voicemail on each one of them's cell phone without ever ringing the phone. So if, let me give you an example. Chase, <clears throat> if you called every single customer you had since the time you started there, and ask them to come back in to buy a car, would it be worth anything? Be worth a lot. Okay, of course it would be. Now, what if you got what if you got your salespeople to call every customer? Well, I tried to, but it's just, you know, you know how that goes. <laughs> All right, so uh, what, what if your managers did it? You know, they're probably a little bit better salespeople. What if your managers called every single customer and got them back in? I mean, same, same once again, same thing. <laughs> you can't get them to take the, the higher you go up the chain. I mean, the better the success rate gets. Of course it is. So let's say we had you do it. It's going to take you about four weeks. You ready? I don't know if I'm quite ready. <laughs> you don't want to take four weeks and call your customers, even though you know you'd sell more cars. You know, cars. Well, I mean, I do, but it's it's just it's literally one of those things. that's almost impossible, just based on time constraints. And I know that. So what if you could do it in twenty seconds? I think that that would be a no brainer. Okay. That's what ringless voicemail does. And you script them with a proper script to where nobody ever knows that it's a voicemail or a recording. And then everybody feels like they've been personally reached out and touched. And, and I'm telling you, man, like the message is everything. I mean, I've been paid five grand for four hours consulting on just messaging. 
when you say messaging, you mean the actual message that's left from the actual from the message listener. left. So to give you an example, I'll tell you one small change in the script. We made a change in the script with one deal, car dealer that I you you know was helping, and all we said was, "Hey, do me a favor and tap me on the shoulder when you come in. I want to make sure I see you here." And that changed almost fifteen percent response because it, it 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 touches you know it's it's real. It adds that personal touch. It adds that personal touch. Yeah, that's that's really cool. <clears throat> see, these things are the most effective voicemail in the world. They are not the most effective voicemail in the world if you get caught sending out a recording. <laughs> Right. Nobody wants to hear a recording and nobody wants to be sold. Well, and, and I know I hate when I get like the robo dials and you answer and, and they're like, hey, it's so and so. And you're like, you're, you're ready to respond. And then you realize it's a recording. And you're like, oh, it, it cannot sound like a recording. And that's why I, that's why I write a script and I am strict about it, because if you give them any leeway, they'll start putting call to actions in it. And hey, by the way, we got one point nine. Shut up. Nobody wants to be sold. You know what I mean? Yeah. We want to be talked to. So if I'm a, you, I mean, any business can buy these, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. As long as they contact you? From me. Yeah. So in, in as far as, I mean, is it expensive? Is it something that if I, if I own a donut shop, I can't afford to do it? I can make it expensive. You want one? <laughs> I'd give it to you for half price. <laughs> <laughs> but what, like, what, what, what would somebody expect? I mean, you have campaigns for, for all budgets and for all. Yes, man. It's no, it's so inexpensive, really. And how, like, if someone listening, they say, well, you know, I'd like to give that a try. Because this is, this is if, a. If somebody called in and said, I heard it from the Chase Channel show, uh, you know, Strictly Business, it'll be really, really inexpensive. And, you know, this is cross-platform. You could be a doctor's office. You could, yes. You could be anything. You just want to yes. get the message out. Even well, a fundraiser you get the message or something. Out and, you, and I'll give you a little secret. You want to get the message out to your past customers. If you ever need a flux of business real fast, if you ever want to push some dollars right into the old pocket really quick, you go after your current database. And the reason why, you got 67.7, y'all call them B-backs in the car business, you got a 67.7% close ratio. And nobody wants to spend money with you who already knows, likes, and trusts you. So the easiest people to sell to is who's already doing business with you. What What about, because I, I know that you've done direct mail a lot of your career too. I have. And I think the what's important and that is something that's overlooked is is having a consistent marketing strategy, but across all platforms, you know, pairing that that voicemail I'll, with a mailer I'll tell or you, with yeah, that, well, that's baller, and that's why I did it. But I'll tell you a secret about voice uh, direct mail, and it's just a fact. And 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 I'm telling you, I've had it backed up. I've had people verify it. I've seen it happen. Three hundred percent frequency with direct mails when it hits. Now you can do a strong call to action with grand prize winners and all that stuff, and you can make a direct mail piece hit because you're sending out such a load of of mail. See, people don't realize. They hear you send out 40,000 mailers. They don't understand that's a tractor trailer load of paper. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? They yeah. don't realize really the sheer volume. I mean, you could send out a tractor trailer load of post-it notes and you're going to get 100 people calling you and 100 people complaining. Yeah. You know, and, and, and 100 people sounds like a lot of people because you're just using sheer numbers. But with direct mail, it's that 300% frequency. I'm telling you, the, the third time that they receive that message for whatever reason resonates. If you're doing one or two mailers and just licking the ice cream instead of eating it go put the ice cream back you don't need to be eating it so i never even and i didn't even know that i think that's interesting oh it's huge man seriously with branding it's 300 percent frequency you've heard frequency with radio or sure. tv or anything okay yeah that that's that's really interesting so in the uh i mean because a lot of our listeners are in business some of them want to be in business or think about it but what we really want to talk about is you know because i feel like that what we discuss here between you and I is very content rich. I mean, well, I mean that's secret 
that's secret stuff I'm giving you. That's secret sauce. Right. You know. So what other secret sauce you got for us? Uh, we're going to stop right there. <laughs> we're in the state of Tennessee. I can't, I'm not legally allowed to disclose it. Dude, I was out there doing burpees, and that, that attorney wouldn't even get on the ground and do any even sit-ups, man. I don't know what his problem is. <laughs> Sid's always, Sid's always uh, stretching out and getting getting jacked up. You know, Tony Robbins has this machine that, like, shakes him, like, like violently for before like going on. Like my grandmama used to do? I guess, before going on stage. It, it's incredible. Uh, anytime I'd go to the grocery store with my grandmother, I'd get that shake every once in a while. <laughs> you ain't getting the candy. Now, one of the things that uh, I also wanted to touch on while while you're here, because I know that this is, uh, you gave us a little nugget there on marketing, but talk a little bit about the supporters and reporters. Oh, man. Man, we're, we're just going to try and puke up everything we've talked about this week, right? You're just going to bring it out of me. Right? Well, I got to get it out, you know, out on the airwaves. People got to know the goods. Well, here's the truth, all right? And, and anytime you put yourself in the public's eye or, or do a radio show or do webinars or you put yourself out there, you're going to have reporters and supporters in life, right? And, 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 and this sucks, but this is the truth. This is, when, this is when family is not excluded because you're going to have family that hate you. Deep down, they're going to be envious or, or jealous or, you know, brother, sibling, any, you know, sister or whatever. And they're not going to be a supporter. They're going to be a reporter. They're going to, you know, be the ones like, ooh, ooh, do you hear him doing that? Do you hear him doing that? You want to run them off, man run them off because you don't want them around because at the end of the day they're there just to, to, to report on you you want supporters that are going to be like man i had that problem one time that's why comeback stories are so cool you know even if even if you're a drug addict that came back and and, and did the right thing and started living right you know people like to root for the for the down for you know for the underdog you know i've always been an underdog supporter i love watching underdog win you know you know, I've even found, though, over time, like with Instagram and, you know, you're following, and I'll be scrolling through. I'm like, man, I haven't heard from, seen, or known this person in, in 15 years. Why am I following them? And I'm like, well, you know, I might want to see what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you just can't quite bring it to do the unfollow because you're like, well, I mean, you know, you feel like you're keeping informed. Sure. You know what I mean? So it's. Well, uh, if they got good content, absolutely. I've been rethinking my, my social strategy. And one of the things that, that I've realized is over time is, I've just used it to use it. I mean, I just. Well, I mean, you know. I had to rethink my social strategy several times. I mean, when we first started doing social media, it was to embarrass people. <laughs> yeah, I was one of those people. <laughs> I mean, if we could get anything, if we could record you at any vulnerable moment in your life, we were putting it on YouTube or on, on Facebook, you know. But, you know, as I started doing a lot of online marketing and stuff and started having a reputation online, I had to go back and go, Ugh. Might need to take this off. <laughs> That's what I hate about the whole Facebook uh, memory thing. Yeah. When it says, you know, on this day eight years ago, it's something you completely <laughs> forgot about. You're like, oh, boy. Uh, hey, when you know it, there's Chase on the horse. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, and we, we've all, we, you know, had a unique crew we ran with, it, uh, sure. to put it mildly. A, a whole sitcom personalities. Yeah, you know, if uh, had we had cameras following us around during those times, who said that back then? Well, you. <laughs> That's right. I said, dude, if we if we if we started recording all this, it'd make us famous. Nobody believed me. Now, one of the things, speaking of being famous, Chase, what what if we would record? Listen, when you were the first guy that would ride with us, we used to all know if you're the new guy, you know, like we would all use the bathroom before we got in the car, and then we'd get in the car. And when you're doing eight and ten hour trips, there's only a matter of time for the guy goes. Hey, man, pull over here. We got to go to the bathroom. And we go, anybody else? And everybody knew to say no because we already used the bathroom, right? And we go, 
we go well until there's two people want to go that's the rule nobody pulls over and then we'd make it to the point where the guy was like pull over pull over here let me out of this car I mean, he'd ready to he done quit he done fired he done you know cussed at me you know pull and then we'd like to record them as they ran in the woods i mean that was the way we were we were sick that sick. was that was the torture that i got put through <laughs> it was funny though See, and that's real perseverance getting through, getting through that. Well, you know, you know what it was when when you finally got to do it to somebody else, it was like you were in the crew. You know what I mean? When you got to do it to what that happened to you, which was so sick in the head, and then you got to be that sicko that got to do it to somebody else. It was almost like it was a very gratifying feeling that you were in the crew. The other thing that Sid always did, which was interesting, was he would offer you could basically get him to bet you anything as long as it was crazy. <laughs> and uh, I remember there was a uh, remember when, so. We go. We're doing this sale, and we go. There's like one r- restaurant, basically. It's like a like a like a little ice cream stand in the middle of nowhere. So anyway, the they go down and they come back, and Sid and I are there. And it was hot out there. It was hot, and they said, "Hey, we got a couple extra ice creams. You guys want them?" I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll take them. So we start chowing down through these. Well, you know, I'm eating mine, and I look over at Sid, and Sid's just crunching away. <laughs> And uh, these were dog treats. Yeah, I thought all, I thought it just had a green cookie in there. I, I didn't know if it was close to you know St. Patty's Day or what, but no, it was a green dog treat. So these they, they were called pup cups, and you know you, <laughs> <laughs> you'd you'd feed them to your dog, and he and I are sitting there, of course, at this point, spitting our ice cream out. I think Sid was so sick he actually finished his. <laughs> well, dude, I really did think that it, I wasn't going to say anything, but I thought it was maybe left over from last week's uh, St. Patty's Day or whatever, and I just wasn't going to complain about their stuff because I'm going to pick my battles, man. I ain't going to complain about their dessert. It was hot out there. <laughs> so then, you know, we were we were upset about that. So Sid did the logical oh, I'm, thing. I'm going to get the last laugh. And he went online and ordered like some, how many million Scovel? Was it was three point. Five seven million Scovel. It came with an attorney label. I had to hide in case somebody found it. They would know they had a lawsuit. And just to give you an idea how hot that is, how many Scovels Tabasco? Ten thousand. Scovel so, is one drop of this to three million five hundred and seventy drops of water to dilute it to tastelessness. There. <laughs> so when we got this stuff, I mean, it was. I mean, used it wasn't to, even a hot sauce. It was a hot additive. It, it was used to like remove sauce. tar off driveways or yeah, something. Yeah, it'll strip grease stain, stains off of driveways. Yeah. And so we put that on their McDonald's burgers we bought everyone, right? That's right. <laughs> so then once once the joke was out, the best part was... Is well, that the, any of them that, that called it or said, no, nah, I ain't eating that. Well, then now now you're going to eat it. Now we're going to find out what you were, son. So then said, what was it, 200 bucks to look at Dude, I would walk up little... go, 20 bucks, you need to eat that. <laughs> 20 bucks. Like that. And they go, I ain't going to do it. I go, 50, you're eating it. 100, 200, because you're going down, son. And one of them would pop over and say, oh, I'll do it for 200. And so, yep, there you go. Come on. <laughs> Let me give you a big old dollop of it. And, dude, that one kid, dude, they look like they're coming out of the gas chamber in the military. You know, in, the, in like in basic, when those guys come out of the gas chamber, some of you will know what I'm talking about, where you had to read your social security number backwards. They look like that coming out of there eating that stuff. I mean, literally, like, foaming up. We had, like, three salesmen show up the next day. It cost me a ton of money. But, dude, I felt better after that damn dog treat. Not only that, they were going over. We had, like, the community cooler, which was, like, People have their hands in the whole weekend. All the all the the the, the beverages for all the clients that are in there. Yeah, you so always the, offer them a drink when you come in. So the water's like brown, and they're, they're <laughs> there ain't no tell where these boys' hands have been. Yeah, and they're over there with their heads in the cooler, <laughs> <laughs> drinking the water out of it. I remember that uh, I was about to to eat some, and they had this jerky, so I, I put it on the. I mean, I'm talking like the just. 
And I was like going to do it, and it just touched the like the I mean <laughs> tiny spot touched my lip. My lip was on fire so much I didn't even eat it. I'm like, it's not even worth the two hundred. I wasn't curious. I wasn't curious at all. <laughs> well, as you can tell, we had we had fun. So we've got a few minutes left. Not many. Um, How about the poor kid that snorted the line of cayenne pepper for a hundred? Man, I felt bad about that. That was horrible. It was. <laughs> and you don't know. ever do that ever. I'm going to go ahead and do a disclosure. We need to get the attorney back in here to do a disclosure. Don't you ever try this at home. And not the worst part about that was that was at a public restaurant. Well, we were at public restaurant. He sat in the bathroom for two hours. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's amazing what you'll do for a couple dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Life on the road with Sid Michael. So, Sid, give him a couple good uh, little motivational tidbits of knowledge to oh, close man. us out. You put we, me on the spot. We here. got, you know, three or four minutes and... uh you know, it's just, uh, it's been a great show. It's a beautiful Friday afternoon and everyone's driving home. So if you're going home over the weekend and you're thinking about what you heard on the show, I mean, what, give us a little, you know, man, come on. All right. Well, I tell you this, I tell you this, and, th- and this is, this is straight up serious, 100% honesty, right? When, when, you know, you, they have asked people, you know, you know, and they've witnessed people as they're laying on the deathbed, you know, and none of them ever say, man, I'm glad I bought that big house. You know what I'm saying? None of them say stuff like that. They all regret what they didn't do. So when it comes down to the end of the day, if you got something that you want to try, you got something you want, you know, you want to do, do it. Don't, don't make up excuses. Don't procrastinate. If you want to run your own business, man, I was thrown into my own business. I I mean, I was just out of survival mode. If I would have sat there and done it when I made up my own mind to do it, I would have still been procrastinating to this day. if, If you have that burning fire in your stomach, Put it out, live out your life the way you should, and take action. That's imperfect action is better than no action. Well, that was good for about uh, you know forty five seconds, but I think I, <laughs> well, I'm just I, I think that. I can carry the rest. But the uh, you know that's a, it's a great point, and I think another thing that can help, and I've done this myself, is when you leave that destination, they say don't burn bridges, but sometimes if you burn them, then you can't go back. Yeah, you should never burn bridges. I'm saying that the path back to where you were, not yeah. like the the relationships with yeah. the people, but sometimes if if it's easier to, to to retreat back to what you know, because I mean I can't oh, tell yeah. you how many people yeah. that I've seen quit and then a week later they're back. Oh man, I made a big mistake. Can I get my job back? Well, you really <laughs> figured that out in a week. <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe you went there and they're mean to you or whatever the case may be, but um, I just feel like that you know sometimes when you put that pressure on yourself. You know, Ty mentioned it, where you're forced to succeed, you know. And, yeah, when the water's deep, you'll swim. You know, and you know what's beautiful about teaching yourself? You don't learn bad habits. You learn new habits. In fact, sometimes you find out ways that nobody else ever knew to do it because you figured it out yourself. You had nobody telling you, this is how you do it, then you do this, then you do that, then you do this. You figure out ways to make things happen that people are like, man, I never even thought of that. I'm like that with direct mail. I taught myself direct mail. I, dude, I would go out and sell direct mail, and when I sold all the direct mail I could, I would go to my buddies that were doing direct mail and go, hey, pay me 50% of what I save you on getting the same mailer out for less. What? Because <laughs> I understood it. You know, I, I got to know it pretty well. Well, and, and I think that that's a, you know, it's a great point. And it just, it reiterates that, you know, in life and business, we all make choices and, and becoming that expert is so important that, you know, it's just, I don't think that people understand when you know what you do inside and out. You got to get obsessed. And, and and that's just it. And people, like they always say to me, well, how do you just get up and, and you know, talk to these audiences or do this or do that? It's just because I know it. It's just me. You know, did, I'm not doing did, anything did, different. Have I ever told you about the guru story where the one guy saw this old man that was a guru 
And he's like, man, I've always wanted to know him. I knew his books were great and stuff. But the guy finally goes, son, I'll help you out. And, and so he was like, cool. He goes, hey, tomorrow meet me at the beach. And he's going, what? Man, I thought this guy was going to meet me like in an office building or maybe, you know, at his office or my office or something. What are we meeting at the beach for? You know, and he goes out there and he's like, I'm playing along because this guy's got massive respect and have helped like massive like athletes and all kinds of people. Right. And he said, man, I don't think you understand. You know, I'm going to show you the the difference between success and failure in business and anything you do in your life today. And he says at the beach, you know, what are you going to teach me how to surf? You know, he don't know what he's going to think. And he goes, no, man, come on. And he took him out to the water and they're about chest deep. And the old man grabbed him by the back of the head and put his head under the water. And, you know, at first he's kind of like, huh, huh. All right. All right. This is funny. Okay. This ain't getting funny. All right, dude, let me up. You know, like he, then he starts to panic and he starts to going, man, I got to breathe. You know, like what, what is this old man trying to kill me out here? Here, I'm the last guy. This guy doesn't flip the lid. Right. And then when he comes up to the guy, looks at him and goes, when you want to be successful as bad as you wanted to breathe just then, you'll be successful. Yeah. So. Yeah, great. I mean, that's 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 exactly it. And it's, you know, I always said that in, in life, you make decisions, you make your choices, and you pick what you do. But at the end of the day, I mean, I've always been obsessed with, because I felt like I had something to prove. Like everyone said, you can't do it. You know what I mean? So you just do it. Yeah. If you didn't get a college degree, you might as well be a garbage man. So you had to prove to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. You know, I'm just, uh, I'm just glad I don't have to pick up the garbage. <laughs> I'm glad I ain't got student loans to pay off. Well, you know, that's another thing. And I think that people are starting to understand that, you know, there's a lot of like experts that now are saying, well, well college might not that be such a great me, idea. I didn't care about people understanding. I cared about my girlfriend's father understanding. That was the only man I was trying to win over and, and, and <laughs> you know, telling me you're a car guy, man. Yeah. I remember when I was, uh, you know, a finance manager, a lot of, a lot of, uh, I even had a lot of people offer me jobs and, you know, this one guy had like, was like the president or vice president of this giant accounting firm he says well you know well son with your education i think we have a spot for him i'm like i'm like man he's gonna be disappointed if he gets the credentials <laughs> but it, you know it's funny how how things are perceived and you know i think that that just goes to show you that it's not always about getting the uh, the public's approval and blaze your own trail man, man that's a massive mistake and also how many times do they sit there and look at you and see you now realize you've looked over 100 million credit apps right you've looked at a thousand credit apps and you're looking at somebody and and I'll use a different profession, but my example was with an attorney one time sitting there talking down to me almost. He's made 80 grand a year. You know, I'm 25 years old sitting there, and he's like, you know, I, I'm like, man, that's a nice job. Yo, are they hiring over there? Son, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting here thinking, good, because I made that before March. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I definitely, I definitely If everybody knew how much money was in the car business, they'd all be in there. I remember that uh, this, this, this client that, that I had, it, it, same thing is for his profession, but so I'm looking through his, you know, through his file, and uh, maybe I should talk this over with Ty before I put it on the. Air. <laughs> you might want to know your legal uh, <laughs> ramifications here. We are in the state of Tennessee. Now, I think you might be legally to t- allowed to talk about it in Tennessee, but if you're in West Virginia, you're up, you're up a pole. But what what was shocking to me when I realized what you see isn't always the real deal. That's right. This guy That's was what you on get for assuming or judging a customer. Well, and this guy was on every billboard. I mean, up and down like Highway 85 and all that. And then, you know, you're looking at his credit, and I'm like, and he, he put on this app, you know, I make 50000 bucks a year or whatever, and I'm going, here, I would have thought this guy was like a, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, and so I asked him, his, you know, his credit was terrible. He couldn't pay his stuff. And he goes, man, he goes, this is just, 
he's like, you know, he's like, it, it's been a struggle ever since I, a lot of it was from the student loans, which you could see on there that he dealt with. And I'm sure there's a lot of other things that played into that because obviously there's a lot of, you know, attorneys that are successful beyond our wildest imaginations. I, I, but I've got a funny story about the same guy. I mean, but it's not an attorney. It was a, a marketer. I went to this big event and they had, how much time we got? Well, we got about two minutes. All right. Well, this is Marker, and they had like these cutout stand-ups, you know, and, and, and this lady was on one. You know, she's a semi-attractive older lady. And uh, so I'm thinking, man, she must be huge. I mean, she's on the stand-up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So when it, when it came to uh, releasing the product I did, she, I'm like, w- do you want to be on there and help? You know? And she's like, yeah, I'd love to be on there. And I'm like, okay. Well, I know why, because this is the biggest thing she ever done. I was the best content she ever had. You know what I mean? And so we, we release it and everything, and then we had to do, like, these bonus calls. And I'm like, hey, would, would you like to do one of the, you, we need you to do one of those bonus calls. Trust me, you'll want to, because that's what, like, stays in the people's mind, and they'll remember you. And uh, now remember that, in my mind, this is the biggest marketer out there, because she had the stand-up thing, right? Well, she ended up not doing the, the bonus webinar, because she got so nervous and it stressed her out so bad that she was going to be public speaking in front of people like that. She went blind and had to go to the hospital. No joke. I'm not lying. I'm not making a word of this up. She went blind over the stress. Evidently, that's a side effect of massive stress is to go blind, man. I felt so bad. I was like, man, you got to stand up. What do you mean you were stressed? I figured you did this in your sleep. You know, it just goes to show that perception truly is reality. That's right. That's right. Well, and you're a sucker if you start judging like that. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Sid. Yeah, Looks buddy. like we're out of time. I uh, appreciate everyone that uh, joins in and listens each week. If you want to get in on the action, you got questions or comments, you can always head on over to facebook.com forward slash the Chase Channel Show. Or if you're just now catching us or you missed some of the first part of the show, tomorrow morning from 9 to 11 right here on 93.1. And as always, you can always go on over to iHeartRadio.com. You can download the app to your phone. You can listen to the show every week for free. Or over on Podbean for free is a great app if you're on Android. And also on uh, iTunes, Podcast, YouTube, Spotify. We're wherever you want to be. And as always, right here on 93.1, the talk of Jackson. You've been listening to Strictly Business with Chase Channel. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to hear fresh new weekly episodes. For more, please visit Facebook.com slash The Chase Channel Show. That's Facebook.com slash The Chase Channel with two N's and two L's show. Until the same time, next time, keep it right here on 93.1 WTJS, The Chalk of Jackson.